Hello and welcome to the VJ Hemonk podcast. The focus of today's podcast will be MRD testing in multiple myeloma. With studies demonstrating the significance of MRD negativity in improving progression-free survival, MRD testing is rapidly becoming routine in clinical trials. Approaches for measuring MRD are fast developing, and this podcast features a fascinating discussion on the clinical applications of new and evolving MRD techniques. Here, Gareth Morgan, Angela Dispensieri, Jens Loher, and Ola Landgren speak from the Myeloma 2018 meeting about the high levels of precision and sensitivity being achieved with new techniques for MRD testing while answering questions on limitations, standardization, and the future of MRD testing in myeloma. My name's Gareth Morgan. Uh, we're here at Myeloma 2018, where we've uh, been listening to the genomics session, and I'm joined by three colleagues, Ola Landgren, Angela Dispensieri, and uh, Jens Law. So it was a very interesting session where we talked a lot around the clinical utility of new DNA-based technologies and protein-based technologies, not to leave Angela out. <laughs> um, it was, was very interesting. And so one of the first things I, I think we heard about was the clinical utility of single-cell RNA-seq. So perhaps you could tell us about, about that. Yes. Yeah, the, the real power of um, single cell sequencing is really that you can, dis uh, that you can resolve um, clonal evolution and that you can resolve clonal um, heterogeneity on a single cell basis. Um, so we are doing um, RNA sequencing and other groups are doing as well and that um, offers you a wealth of data because you can look at the same time at gene expression of individual single cells, at activation programs, mutations, um, fusions, um, and also splice variants. And um, that hasn't been possible before to look at those things with single cell resolution because when you look at gene expression from a bulk population, um, you essentially get only a mean value of everything that you're looking at and you're not able to identify individual subclones. So, so for me as a pr practicing clinician, what, what, does, what does all that mean? How's it gonna help me treat my patients? Yeah, and I think um, one of the powers is that you can identify individual clones early. So we don't know exactly what that means, but uh, we think that resistant subclones are already present by the time you start a treatment. And it may actually, with now having multiple treatments available, um, and just using one example, when you see that you have, when you give an antibody against an epitope, for example, against CD38, um, and you already see a splice variant or a mutation in a few single cells in this particular molecule, um, you might want to follow this patient much more closely and see if that clone grows out. Um, and, um, and then maybe change the treatment. So with more and more antibodies available, with more and more um, immunotherapies available, for example, CAR T cells, I think it's gonna be crucial to identify early on if you have individual cells and individual subclones which are already resistant to those treatments. So it's kind of a refinement of minimal residual disease testing at, at some level, which the other two members of the, of the panel kind of touched on, one using molecular tests and the other using protein tests. Angela, 
How, how do you use these mass spec technologies to follow residual cells in the bone marrow or, or blood after treatment? Right. So the concept of using the blood protein is that you have the advantage that you get a total sampling, right? Mm -hmm. When you do a bone marrow, you're only, it's a pat, we know it's all patchy disease. Mm. And so what we're trying to get a sense of is with simple blood work, what level of sensitivity can you get using mass spectrometry rather than a gel-based mm. assay, which is what has been used to date with immunofixation and the rest. Um, and so again, we don't have full comparative data comparing it to mm. next gen flow, next gen sequencing, but you know we think that we are going for sure an order or two of magnitude lower than what the routine blood tests are. So the mass spec techniques seem to be a improved approach to monitor uh, the myeloma in the blood. Absolutely. So Ola, where does, where does um, VDJ rearrangement and molecular testing fit in? I was uh, invited to talk about uh, our experience with VDJ tracking uh, as a tool for MOD mm. monitoring of patients. I focused my talk on the baseline sample. Uh, the reason I did that is because we know that VDJ sequencing probably is the most sensitive available assay for bone marrow aspirates. Uh, there was less information in the literature that triggered us to do a study focusing on capture rate. Uh, mm -hmm. That means that at the diagnosis sample, uh, can you actually identify the individual patient's signature? Because that's the one you're going to follow over so, time. So just to like kind of clarify that, you mean how many patients a presentation can you get a marker for? For how many patients that you test, do you actually see the individual patient's signature, correct? Mm -hmm. And that's the signature that we follow over time, and we use that when we determine MOD status. Mm -hmm. So even if the, the, the marker is good, it's more sensitive than any of the other markers. If you cannot find the signature to begin with, you have nothing to follow. So I showed in almost 200 samples that you can actually find that signature in more than 95% okay. of the cases. So that's pretty good. Yeah, very good. Uh, and we used a lot of different tools to try to investigate in those cases where it didn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, there are subsets of patients where there probably is somatic hypermutation, uh, having low level of DNA, having poor uh, sample quality and things like that. So it goes all the way from the biology into the practical handling of the samples. So my interpretation of what you said was that in almost 100% of patients, you can get a DNA-based marker that you can use in the bone marrow to follow MRD. That's correct. And I would like to say that Angela's talk that was before my talk is very important for the use of the assay I was talking about. I think that patients are tested with blood tests with these protein markers. If they still are positive, there is probably no reason to do a biopsy and look with the more sensitive assay I was talking about. So her assay can help and guide when to do the next one. We're talking about precision medicine, how to use precision medicine in the clinic and what tools to use and really to avoid bone marrow testing and use peripheral blood. So how, how do you think that's playing out, Jens? Yeah, I think there's, uh, right now it's getting close to being ready for prime time. And I think there's um, three options and three advantages and three scenarios in which 
blood biopsy is actually relevant. And um, the first one is um, what has been discussed in the session. If we have genes which are mutated, for example, with the BRAF V600E mutation, um, to use a targeted panel doing cell-free DNA and identify patients which have mutations in those genes um, for which we have actually good drugs like, like BRAF and MEK inhibitors. Um, the, second, the second scenario in which it might be useful is just to look at genomic evolution. And that can be done very cheaply um, and very quickly, for example, with low-pass whole genome sequencing. And that can be easily obtained at every relapse and with every treatment, and we can see how the disease evolves over time. So if I'm getting this right, um, your technology is applicable when you have active disease. So you have a presentation and when you relapse, and so you can do molecular testing at those times. But then there are these big gaps where we're trying to cure people at some level. And so how did the technologies you two talked about play out in terms of applica applicability to the peripheral blood? So in terms of, again, Currently, we have a, the assay using mass spectrometry, just routinely available now uh, at our institution. Um, and so it's playing out in real life right now where we can have increased sensitivity and specificity of identifying and following the protein, um, a higher level of being able to detect MRD. Um, now, there are different levels of using mass spectrometry. Um, we're currently using what's called top-down mass spectrometry, and we're using right now um, a MALDI-TOF, which is a, port, you know, a machine that's only yay big um, that really can do high throughput. Um, and so that's live now. Um, the next level is using like a triple TOF or a more sophisticated mass spectrometer mm. where then if these are negative then that could be applied and that's less amenable to high throughput kinds of things. So it is playing out in real life. Then there's even one level further that you can go with mass spectrometry potentially is by doing what's called bottom-up mass spectrometry wherein you actually can specifically, so these other techniques are really identifying the mass, the size. You don't yeah. know exactly what the protein is, you don't know the VDJ or whatever. Mm. Um, another way is you can go bottom up where you actually are looking um, for the VDJ, so you trypsinize and so forth, and then that may give, again, through the blood, a further sensitivity. Um, unfortunately with that, you do need um, a baseline sample of some mm. size in order, to, either you could have baseline VDJ from um, the bone marrow because the sequence is going to be there, or if you had a big enough uh, M spike at the beginning, you could even potentially getting it, get it from the blood. So, like that's very complicated for Oops. me. <laughs> and so we we have this kind of complicated theoretically, but very practical uh, mass spec approaches, and then the sort of molecular approaches. How does your technology apply on the peripheral blood? So the technology I was talking about is this VDJ tracking uh, from the bone marrow. You can use VDJ tracking also in peripheral blood. The mm. problem, uh, if you're looking for mi minimal residual disease, is that there is not sufficient amount of DNA in the blood to reliably uh, give you uh, a true positive negative. You will have a lot of false negatives. There basically is too little material to reliably rule out detection of disease. So for right now, if you have these very sensitive VDJ assays, you have to do the biopsy uh, with the current kind of standards we have. Mm. 
The way I think about it is that there are a couple of nuances and all these technologies can be in a way used to address these nuances. One nuance I think is the diversity of the disease in a given patient. We know that there are many subclones in every patient and I think Jens's technology can help us understand which combination of these subsets of disease does a given patient actually have to, to begin with, a diagnosis and maybe a relapse and it could change over time. Angela and my technologies that we were talking about is more to look for is there evidence, yes, no, of any residual disease after therapy has been completed. And I think in a way they are linked, but they are answering a little bit different questions. So um, I think it all comes back to what I think the future of cl clinical myeloma is, which is treating patients to maximum response to obtain MLD negative states. So like, what is the level of MOD that doctors in practice should aim for? Do we have any clue at this point in time? I think the clinical guidelines we have worked out together, we published a couple of years ago, they say you rule out one cell in 100,000 in the bone marrow, that's good enough to, mm -hmm. to call it minimal residual disease, and that's what we currently rely on for clinical trials. I'm quite convinced that that is going to change very soon. There is emerging data from many ongoing trials showing that if you jack it up, to one cell in a million, you see a difference in progression-free survival. You start seeing uh, some kind of plateau pattern for progression-free survival. But we don't know if 10 to minus seven or 10 to minus eight uh, will get it even better. That's something we don't know. So I have, I have difficulties with the 10 to the minus seven, 10 to the minus eight, because I think you almost have to put a whole person into a machine to be able to have that level of, of sensitivity. So um, if 10 to the minus six is a kind of practical uh, cut point. How, how do you think the, the mass spec plays out? I don't have the answer to that yet. I know based on work we've done in myeloma that it definitely gets beyond 10 to the minus fourth and probably to close to 10 to the minus fifth, but we haven't done large enough series um, to really understand that. So I think that's a work in progress, mm -hmm. um, but we definitely are getting there. Um, and the, you know, the nice thing too about the, the mass spec is it's very, it, it's, it is specific, um, you know, monoclonal, therapeutic monoclonal antibodies don't get people confused because, you know, when you do immunofixation, you see a little G-kappa floating mm -hmm. around and you don't know is that the original, you know, you do a shift assay, but then you have ilotuzumab and what is that? And, you know, so the various antibodies. And so I think, um, again, we're on a, uh, in a, on the pathway um, to have simple testing that actually gives you greater precision in deciding whether you do need to do a bone marrow, whether you do need to do a PET if you're really looking for mm -hmm. MRD. Um, and so potentially that'll make it easier on patients, um, you know, if they uh, don't have enough circulating, you know, uh, cell-free DNA or, or something that you can get from the peripheral blood, at least you can save a, a good fraction of patients um, from having to undergo that testing. So how does this intraclonal heterogeneity play out in the, in the context? So I have some vision of, you know, precision medicine, molecularly targeted medicine, where you monitor the clone with those molecular features. How are we gonna monitor specific clones in, um, in remission states? I think that's really, I, I, I agree with, with both Ola and uh, Angela that 
the blood for detecting minimal residual disease, no matter what technology you use, is very challenging. But I think um, the blood biopsy techniques are very powerful when you look at every relapse when you have a lot of disease. So I think for monitoring, for precision medicine, for exactly those mutations that we are interested in, the blood biopsy has a real shot. And in terms of um, how, how we think about treating it, my personal bias is that precision medicine is probably ultimately going to be very good for cell reduction, but as, as monotherapy it's not going to be powerful enough to really cure people or even, even, uh, even reach an MRD stage. So I think we are basically going to chase the disease with every relapse. Okay, so, um you kind of use your peripheral blood technologies when there's active disease and then use more generalized mechanisms to monitor MRD states either. You know what I think is going to be really interesting. So there are, you know, these uh, cases where you have patients that sort of quote return to the smoldering state. They may have, you mm -hmm. know, a persistent monoclonal protein and yet they're doing great 15, 20 years later mm -hmm. and it's kind of mysterious. Um, you know, one of the things I think that we can answer now with this, with these assays is, is that really the same clone? Is it a different clone? Is it something um, about the, um, um, the immune system that's keeping things in check? So I think, again, by having precision in knowing what the monoclonal protein is and precision in knowing what the clones are, um, I think it's going to give us the opportunity to study sort of relationships with the microenvironment and do you always have to truly be MRD negative or are there other things that may affect um, people being stable. And so getting rid of some of the background noise mm -hmm. um, will be very helpful to that end. So you can see we've had a, a really interesting uh, session here. A lot of topics uh, were, were covered, but we're really moving towards a situation where precision medicine is being introduced into the clinical management of myeloma patients. And we can only hope that that is really successful in improving patient outcomes. So thank you for your attention. That's all for now from our podcast. That was a very interesting discussion and we are excited to see how the future of MRD testing for myeloma unravels. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe on VJHemonk.com for more exciting updates in myeloma.